And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Good morning, everybody, and welcome. Episode 135 here, Friday morning. It is currently, can anybody guess, it is 7.05 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Friday, August 16th. How's everybody doing? Thank you for joining me. Thank you for being here. I took Monday off. Why? I have no excuse other than uh, I am uh, I'm a little lazy. And also, I didn't really have much to talk about. I was working on a little segment that I'm going to do today. Um, so I've actually got a, a pretty, uh, this is unusual, I don't usually say this, a pretty cool episode planned, I think. Planned? What? Yeah. I actually planned something out here. I have an outline in front of me and everything. Go figure. Will wonders never cease? Um so I, I don't know, I don't know how cool it is. There, there's one one particular thing that will probably um, find its way into a blog post as well. Something that uh, uh, has been on my mind for a while, and I will tell you right now, it is going to be a pretty boring segment, full of things that are not very sexy, a whole lot of advice that's really easy to ignore, and is also mission critical. And if you've been listening to this for a while, you will have heard most of these things before, but I'm going to put it all up in one nice, neat, concise little package, tentatively titled, The Top Things That I Wish I Would Have Known Earlier in My Bodybuilding Career. I need to find a little bit more clever and uh, uh, short title for that, but that's the idea. So we'll get to that later on. Um, First things first, I wanted to say good luck to my client, Jessica, who will be competing tomorrow in her first show doing figure. Um, Coming in really lean. Pretty happy with that. If you've uh, seen her on uh, Instagram, um, I've shared a couple of her things. You could follow her directly. Uh, Her her conditioning is on point. I'm excited to see what happens here. Uh, What is her... uh, What is her Instagram... uh, handle. What is it? Jess underscore B underscore lifter uh, is how you can find her. So you can check her out on Instagram. Worth a follow for sure. So um, good luck to her tomorrow. I am uh, doing something very unusual, which is I am sitting here recording this podcast while I actually have my inbox up on my other monitor. Uh, usually I hide that so I'm not distracted, but I am expecting her uh, her Friday Peak Week update any moment now. And so I need to catch that as soon as it comes in and give her her marching orders for the day. So I've got Her plan already pulled up. I kind of know what to expect, but uh, I just want to see things. And, you know, the way I do it for Peak Week is um, pretty laid back. You know, I always tell people that if you've made it to Peak Week, you've done all the hard stuff. And now all you have to do is keep your anxiety and your stress levels low, follow the orders, and just do what I ask you to do, which is not going to be anything too hard. And you're not going to be feeling miserable and like death, how a lot of people do when they really do like crazy, crazy, absurd sodium and water manipulation, that kind of stuff. So, um, like, like, uh, you know, usually, so we'll, we'll spike up water a little bit and then we'll taper it down to the point where it's a little lower than normal, but it's not like, you know, you get 10 ounces of water today or anything like that. Show day, we keep it tight and minimal, but that's for one day. That's the day of the show. So, and still minimal is not zero, just minimal. Um, as enough, uh, just as much as you need to keep from getting really uncomfortable, but not really much more than that. Uh, the food is pretty easy, you know, typically we'll carb up, uh, towards the end of the week. Um, Jess actually started carving up on Wednesday. Uh, and so t- yesterday was her second day of carbs where, 
we increased things a little bit over Wednesday, and today I suspect, depending on what I see from her here shortly, I suspect we'll probably do more of the same. It just kind of depends. Uh, a lot of people will say, well, here's what you do for peak week, and you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and I'm like, y- you really kind of have to watch and listen to your body. So what I do for peak week is I will send – Sunday leading into the Monday of the show. So Sunday is when we do our final check-in and update. And uh, at that point, I will say, here's the forecast for the week. Here's what I expect you to do on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, and on show day, assuming it's a Saturday show, uh, with regards to all of your cardio, all of your lifting, your water intake, your sodium, your food. Um, But I also say... All of those things are subject subject to change. So we're going to check in every day. We're going to look at photos every day. I'm going to ask you some questions about how things are feeling every day. And we're going to play it by ear. So this is tentatively what I expect to have happen, which is useful. So when it comes to food prep, et cetera, you've got an idea. You can plan ahead a little bit. But I also I don't make any promises like, yes, this is what's going to happen. Like This is what I suspect is a good has a good probability of happening. But have extra carbs at the ready. Um, have your meals prepared in such a way that we can pull carbs out or add them very easily um, because we may want to. And just be ready for cardio adjustments, et cetera. So, you know, that, that's why I'm watching my inbox right now just because I know when she sends that in, like I want to be able to get back to her pretty much immediately uh, with whatever her marching orders are if they're modified from the day at all. So especially today, um, you know, because today, Friday, for most everybody is also a travel day. Um, getting to the show, getting checked in, getting your tan, all that stuff. So um, often it involves an early start. So uh, now the benefit here is she's a couple hours behind me. So (laughs) I get a little bit of a head start on the day. I've actually been up for a couple hours already. So anyway, all that to say, good luck to Jessica. So um, I did something unusual this morning. And I don't know about unusual, but I saw uh, for, for some reason, my primary form of entertainment these days is YouTube. Um, there are a handful of YouTube channels that I subscribe to that I just absolutely, a lot of them are musically musical related. So um, like just general music industry stuff, uh, recording techniques and tactics, some guitar technique as well. I've been kind of trying to brush up on that and some drum technique also. Strangely, nothing piano related. Uh, I could care less, even though that's my main instrument, but it's like, eh, whatever. <laughs> so... Um, it popped up in my feed though this um, episode of uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, which I, I guess it's primarily a podcast, but he puts them on YouTube as well. So he has, I mean, they're clearly, you know, it's a multi-camera setup, so it's it's professionally done. Of course, it's not like what would happen if I put my podcast up on YouTube, which I have done before with uh, what's the right word? Shitty results. <laughs> I mean, it looks lousy. Uh, I am not performing at all, and uh, the production is terrible. It's non-existent, actually. Uh, so, I mean, first of all, kudos to him for having a team behind him that can that can actually put out a quality product, which is great. So, um, as I understand it, he has got one of, if not the most popular podcast, at least in the United States. Um, huge, huge following. And so, and I had never heard an episode or watched it or anything like that. But I saw the episode where he had Maynard James Keenan from Tool on. I'm like, well, I'm going to watch that. It was an hour and 45 minutes. I tell you what, I made it about five minutes in and then I started skipping around. I'm like, it takes a special talent to make an interview with Maynard boring. 
Um, because, I mean, the guy is not necessarily the most dynamic, bubbly personality in the world. I'm talking about Maynard here. Um, but he is an endlessly fascinating character. And from what I saw about Joe Rogan in this is that he is possibly one of the worst high-profile interviewers I've ever seen. What I did, I mean, I, I watched it for a little bit, and then I just started skipping around, and it, the the entire interview seemed to be just him talking about himself and telling stories and asking stupid ass questions. Um, it was monumentally frustrating um, because Maynard just doesn't come out of his his wine cellar very often <laughs> to, to give an interview, especially on a platform like that. So I was like, oh my God, what's this going to be? Oh, it's an hour and 45 minutes of the host talking about himself. Oh my God, it was so frustrating. So I don't know, it, it, if you watch that interview, um, so I've done a little bit of study on like interview techniques just because I always imagined that uh, this podcast would be a platform for doing a lot more of those. And it hasn't panned out that way and I'm okay with that. I would love to, but at the same time, the scheduling interviews is... Man, my schedule is really busy as it is, and uh, it's <laughs> work working in additional interviews, and then also just doing it myself and the tech challenges of it. It's like, oh man, making it sound good, um, making it interesting is one thing, but making it sound good. And you know, I've gotten some feedback from people like, oh, that interview was good, but I had a tough time hearing it. I'm like, yeah, there's only so much I can do on a phone connection there. So I know there are other ways to do it, but I have not had any luck getting those to work. So at any rate, I've done a little bit of of research into interview techniques. And all I can say is that that broke all the rules of what a good interview should be. And it's not about being a rule breaker. It's about being a shitty interviewer. Um, it was really, really terrible. And maybe it was a bad representation of what he's like on a typical day. Cause that was awful. So there's my ringing endorsement for that podcast. <laughs> uh, so uh, to that end also, I'm, I'm looking at my own analytics here for like how many listens each episode gets and, like, okay, first of all, I realize this is not the most fascinating thing to listen to in the world. It could get your attention for a little bit, maybe. Every now and then I have a little gem. Maybe you find it a little humorous. I don't know. Maybe you're laughing at me more than with me. Honestly, I'm okay with that. doesn't bother me either way. Uh, but on on average, um, the, the typical number of plays that I get per episode, they're kind of low. And it's kind of like, I should probably do something about that. So um, I have... Uh, reached out to a, a marketing consultant um, that I've used before who did some great stuff with my website just to see if they can help me uh, with uh, increasing the, the reach of the podcast here. So uh, what's that going to mean for you, the listener? Nothing um, except that, uh, you know, if all goes well, um, I will not be playing every voicemail that gets called in because there will be so many of them I'll have the ability to pick and choose, which just means, hey, Step up your questions. So um, on that note, um, we do have a, uh, a message here. So just one this week, just one. But this comes from, uh, oh, a good friend of mine. So uh, without further ado, let's hear it. Hey, Darren. It's Brian from Louisiana. Man, I have a question about the barbell back squat. So let me paint a picture for you. You're trying to follow your coach's short rest times to a T. You've got the bar loaded up with your final set. RPE is going to be around a 9.4. You get set up, about to get started, and your Pandora radio station is interrupted by a damn advertisement. I know there's no way you can lift that much weight listening to somebody tell you how to buy a used car through a vending machine or what antifungal foot cream is going to cure your gingivitis. I'll pull my headphones out. I'm going to have to listen to the sugar plum fairy music coming over the gym speakers. 
three different people talking on their cell phones, and as soon as the vultures in the corner see me drop them, they're going to run over and ask what kind of protein powder you should be taking. <laughs> so do you push through and just try to, you know, man up and work through it, or don't tell your coach that you took an extra one minute of rest time? I don't know what to do. My cortisol levels are going up thinking about it. I got to go. <laughs> oh, oh, Brian, I love it. I love it. That's great. So um, there's a lot of things to unpack there. Um, I think I'm going to leave most of it packed up, actually. So uh, it was funny because you said that was going to be a question about a, uh, a back squat, and it really wasn't. It, it was more about, um, if, if I may reframe the question a little bit, this is more about your utterly terrible playlist management. Um, and the fact also that you're using the free version of Pandora for music. What? Are you kidding me? Man. That, 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 that's the cheap way out, buddy. Uh, that's, so, yeah, actually, I'm turning around. I'm not, I'm not so worried about the vultures. I'm judging you here. Um, yeah, you should never go into the gym using the free version of Pandora. Actually, I, I mean, I will take this to the grave. Pandora is terrible um, as a music service. It just sucks. Um, as far as I'm concerned, nothing beats Spotify. And so what, what do we pay for Spotify? I want to say it's like 15 bucks a month for... Uh, a family plan, which we have, which is for separate accounts for my wife and I, which we have some technical issues with that. So I'm not saying that it's the end all be all solutions, but I think some of that may be my own doing. Quick aside here, that this is what happens to me sometimes. So just to show you that my my recommendation here is not foolproof, but I know there are ways around it. It's just, it comes up so infrequently, I've not bothered to look into it. So we do share like a billing account, but we have our own separate accounts. Um, now we'd have, I, I can't say her name because then she'll start listening to me. We have one of those Amazon Echo speakers that you, you, know, you say the name and it activates, but she's sitting three feet away from my desk. So if I say her name, then she's going to start, you know, spitting weather forecasts back at me or whatever. I can't have that. Um, so we use her to play music throughout the house sometimes. And unfortunately, it's tied into my Spotify account. So like we have a, a, a shared joint billing account, um, but then I have my individual account and my wife has hers as well. Well, the, the Echo speaker is tied into mine, which, okay, all well and good, except if I'm in the gym and I'm rocking out to some Meshuga, and then my wife is here like on a Saturday or something and she's cleaning the house and she wants some Ella Fitzgerald, yeah, guess what? <laughs> That's going to start piping in through my headphones <laughs> in the gym. Which, that'll take you off your game a little bit. I, I like some Ella Fitzgerald, but she is not workout music. No, she's great house cleaning music. Um, but no, or, or sometimes if, you know, my wife is kind of stressed, she'll put on some, like, meditation music. So, like, mid-set, boom, here it comes. It's like, you know, cloud-based meditation. I'm like, no, 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 no. What? So, anyway, that happens pretty rarely. Uh, but nonetheless, it has happened a few times, and it's been kind of funny. So, that would be, like, my equivalent of what you're experiencing here. So, that, be, so that, that has nothing, nothing that I can control, however, I mean, I could fix the issue technically. I'm not. I, what I'd probably do is make it so that our uh, our uh, Spotify account or, or, or uh, our Echo plays through her Spotify account instead of mine. That would fix it. 
have I taken the time to do that? No, I haven't. So there's your solution. Anyway, all that to say, what you need to do is get a better app for checking out music. So Spotify is my recommendation. It's ad-free. And then also the other thing is clearly what you need is some, uh, you need some progressive rock. You need some bands that put out songs that are 15, 20, 25 minutes long because then you have this problem less frequently where there's interruptions or breaks between, um, between tunes. So that would be another recommendation. So, uh, one thing I did here um, in my, oh God, I'm really feeling it right now. Um, I did legs on Wednesday, and this was a new leg workout for me. And one of the things on here was uh, machine adduction, the squeezy together one, not the pull apart one. So adductors, and I think guys can really relate to this because as guys, we typically will hit adductors less frequently. And so every time you hit them, it's like the first time you've trained calves after having not touched them in four years. Where right now, it feels like the adductors are not so much muscle, but they're like pieces of rebar um, that just have no flex and no movement at all. Like I'm just sitting here in my chair and I can feel the tension going throughout it. When I stand up, there's going to be a whole lot of cursing that happens and not just because I'm old but because they are going to be super stiff and just not move. Like waking up this morning and crawling out of bed for the first time, Ooh, that was a painful experience. Um, that was bad. That was bad. So um, anyway, I, I had a few sets of, of uh, adduction to do. And the way that my coach programmed it in is, uh, you know, like three sets of 15 and then one set a minute and a half long, just at the same weight, just make it happen however you can. Uh, you know, like f cheat with your hands, take a break here and there, partial reps, whatever, but just, you know, keep moving and keep repping things out for a full minute and a half um, at the same weight that you were hitting 15 reps at. So I'm like, Ooh, okay. So what did I do? I'm like, I need to have just the right music for this. And so I pulled up like the final two and a half minutes of lateralis by tool um, because nothing makes my blood boil in a good way, quite like the end of that song. So, uh, I think, you know, if you're looking at about an RPE of 9.4 for a set of squats, you can't just casually go into it and be like, okay, well, you know, this song by the Red Hot Chili Peppers that's playing right now, that'll do the trick. No, you got to have like your go-to money song. So that would be a good question, actually. Here is a question. I'd love, love to get some feedback on this. Um, so you can, you can email these in. You can uh, message me via Instagram or call it in and, and tell me why. Um, I would love to know what your money songs are. Like, okay, it's life or death in the gym and you have got to hit a PR on something or you've loaded up the bar with something and you've got to go to absolute failure and you know, you know you're good for about 12 or 13 reps. You want to hit 15, but man, if you could hit somewhere between 17 and 20, that would be even better. So that's really going to be pushing the boundaries. What do you put on? What are you listening to and why? Why? So... um that that I would love to hear some feedback on that actually. So so tell me on that one. Um, for me, I'll give you my why behind lateralis. First of all, have you ever heard that song? If not, that that would explain why your your, your curiosity as to why. So if you have heard it, you will understand. Um, but the end of that section, it's it, it's a polyrhythmic jam, which is kind of funny because. The guitars and the bass are playing in 4-4 while the drums are playing in 3-4 underneath that. So there's this um, tension that gets created from that where everything seems a little out of line in a chaotic but yet perfectly precise way. Um, it's great. The vocals are awesome. The guitar riff is just like 
massively chuggy. The drum beat is amazing, and it's just one of those things where I'm not a violent guy, but I listen to that. I'm like, I have to punch something right now. Um, it just it, it gets that thing deep inside. I don't know what it is, but there's just uh, it, it it triggers it in some way. And so, whenever I need to do something, like if 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 somebody got partially run over on the street and they needed somebody to lift a car off of them, I would say, hold on a second, let me put that song on, and let me, let me, I'll get to it. And, you know, there might be a good chance of success there. So I had this, um, so I've been doing this thing lately where I, I plug in uh, show notes, and I break down, like, by times what uh, what I'm talking about. So, like, here, zero, zero, zero today was intro. Um, and then uh, when this question started, it was 11 minutes and 10, and I just wrote in squat because, Brian, that's what you said your thing was about. Not so much, though. Not about a squat at all. I'm going to say, uh, uh, I'm going to change that so it says gym music foibles um, because that is much more appropriate. So um, a quick note here um, at 2040, um, a, uh, a very, very brief um, get well message uh, to my coach, Lainey Hart, who she uh, uh, actually went in for, for surgery um, on, I think it was Monday of this week. So, um, you know, er- earlier this year, she won the, oh, what was it? The pro show in Shreveport, women's physique. And so she got her um, automatic Olympia qualification from that. And so she had been in prep for that, had to pull the plug on it for medical reasons. And she had to go in for surgery. Um, she is good now. Um, I'm not sure what she has disclosed about it, other than the fact that, you know, what I've said here. So I won't go into any more detail than that. But um, she's good. It's all good. She did uh, make a point, like, you know, Whatever was going on here um, had nothing to do with, uh, you know, bodybuilding or her lifestyle or anything like that. It's something that realistically she was born with and it just decided to lay dormant and wait a long time until it woke up. So, but she is, she is good now and uh, recovering well. So just wanted to extend, um, get well wishes to her also. So, um, okay. Now jumping from that um, to uh, what I have, I have come to learn is uh, everybody's, favorite little segment here. Ah, yes. So this is a shirt that I need. I need a shirt with a slogan that says practice situational awareness. How would you define situational awareness? I would define it as nothing more sophisticated than being mindful of your surroundings. So let me paint a picture for you. Oh, this is really difficult to talk about (laughs) because once again, I'm getting triggered. Uh, Boy, I don't even know how to start this. I'm, I'm so, I'm so absolutely flabbergasted by just the, the collective stupidity of some segments of humanity. It just, it boggles my mind. So have you ever in your life noticed that on some buildings out there, there, there's an entrance to these buildings, and it consists of two doors. There's one on the left, and there's one on the right. In some of these buildings, there are actually two layers to these doors. Like, there's an outer door and then an inner door. Often, both of those are double doors as well. For some reason, people seem to think it's okay to stand in front of those doors so that either if I'm on the outside trying to walk in, they are blocking it, 
and they're just standing there in front of a fucking door, which, to be clear, is designed to move and is not a window that you could stand in front of and arguably have an excuse for that. But standing in front of a door so that I'm going to walk up behind you and say, excuse me, with a really irritated sound in my voice, meaning like, why are you standing in front of a door, you damn moron? What is wrong with you? Or also, there is the whole, you know, okay, I am approaching, you know, I think the general convention here is when you approach double doors, you grab the one on the right, usually. Why is that? I I guess most of society is right-handed. I am not. Nonetheless, I still reach for a door with my right hand. I open it. I walk through the right door. Now, if there's somebody coming out, there's, for some reason, I approach a door and start to reach for it. And instead of pushing the door open on their right, they wait for me to open the door, and then they come out through the one that I just opened. I, I didn't open this for you. You've got your own door. It's right there. Push on that one. You go out there. Now, I am not a jerk. I'm fine with opening the door for people. But you know what I'm a fan of? Protocol. The, I mean, we, we go in the door on the right-hand side. I think a lot of it's because, you know, a, a lot of our things in society are on the right. We drive on the right, so, you know, we, we then automatically will gravitate towards a door on the right. It just makes sense. But I've got my door. You've got Use it. Don't use mine. I'm not opening it for you. I'd be happy to, but that's not how this works. It's like when you, um, oh, here's an, this is a different tangent. This could end up being like a 20-minute pet peeve segment because I have a feeling that every one of these is going to cascade into something else. I'm already off topic here. I didn't even plan on discussing the door thing. It's like when you're driving down the street and a car in front of you stops for no apparent reason other than to let somebody cross the street when there's no crosswalk. I have stuck my head out of the window and yelled at people before. Like, don't do that. I know you're trying to be nice, but when there's no crosswalk, people are definitely not expecting the car in front of them to stop. So you're effort to do something nice for this person who's trying to cross the street is putting people at risk because I'm not expecting I'm going 45 miles an hour oh slam on the brakes because some dipshit in front of me has decided to be the good guy and let somebody cross the street when there is not even close to a crosswalk that isn't being nice that's not even really being stupid it's being extremely dangerous so once again there is a way that things are supposed to work you want to cross the street you go to a damn crosswalk And other than that, you don't have to stop as a car. Not only do you not have to, but you really shouldn't stop because other traffic is not expecting you to because they don't have any reason to expect you to stop. So anyway, yeah, you use the right door, you know, that kind of stuff. So anyway, back to situational awareness. So the dumbass is standing in front of the door. That's one problem. But like you're driving through the grocery store. I need to come up with some terminology here. So I I wonder if there is... um, if there is like some kind of civil design um, instruction manual online, um, I'm going to Google here. <laughs> Google autocompletes it. So this might be the weirdest thing I've ever, uh, ever typed into Google. Parking lot terminology. Um, oh, and there's, there's, a, there's a diagram here. Is, is it labeled with things? Um, oh, this is hilarious. Parking lot, Wikipedia. Um, huh. Entrance, exit, build. Okay, there, there's arrows, but there's no there's no labels. I need to, I need the, uh, um, I need the terminology. Like, what are these things called? Is this one um, street corner interior lot? No, 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 no. Oh, this looks like it might be good. Asphalt slot. No, no. Dang it. This I could have looked this up beforehand, but I don't. This is kind of fun at the same time. Looking at all these diagrams of parking lots. I'm like, who knew? Who knew? 
Um, yeah, so you've got, let, let's make up our own terminology here. So you've got the spaces, but then there's the, the, the spot where you drive in between the spaces. And, and it's either one way or two way, right? So let, let's call that the aisle. We're going to call that the aisle is where you drive through in the parking lot. So we'll, we'll refer to that as the aisle. And let's just assume that at my local Kroger here, all the aisles are two ways. Because, uh, you know, all, all of the, um, the uh, parking spaces are perpendicular to the aisles. They aren't angled. So you'll get somewhere they're angled all um, uh, in the same way. So, like, if you're, it's a two-way aisle. So if you're driving on the right side, you can pull into the right spots. If you're driving the other way on the other side, you can pull into the spots on that side. And then sometimes you'll have it where, um, you know, everything is angled in more of like a chevron pattern where uh, you're, it's a one-way aisle and you can pull in either left or right at an angle. So we're going to assume that this is a perpendicularly configured uh, <laughs> two-way aisle setup. Wow. <laughs> who, who knew we were going to be getting this deep into parking lot design and terminology on the drop set? <sighs> Not my proudest moment, but bear with me. I'm getting to a point. As a pedestrian in a parking lot, you have a couple objectives. Your first is to get to your car. The second should be to avoid getting hit by a car. I would think that makes sense. So, pop quiz. As a pedestrian in a parking lot, what is the easiest way to avoid getting hit by a car? That is to spend as little time in the aisle, the driving part of the parking lot, as possible, you would think, right? Because that's where the cars are. Um, and also, you know, don't don't walk behind a car that has its reverse lights on that's about to back up. That's a good way to get hit, too. Um, make eye contact with the driver, all that good stuff. Anyway, this is not about, this is not a safety lesson. This is a pet peeve. My pet peeve is people walking at the most oblique angles possible through the aisles in the parking lot. So you as a car have to just sit there and wait 20, 25, 30 seconds for this dumbass who has no idea you're back there to get out of your way. Because why would they know you're back there? I mean, it's not like you are going in a place that is designed for cars. Oh, wait. Yes, you are. I just don't understand the amount of drugs that some people have got to be on in order to explain that they behave the way they do. It doesn't make any sense. And then the last thing that I will say on this, and then mercifully we will move on, is um, the gym where I go has one water fountain. So I, I go up there, and I'm behind this guy, and he's, like, filling up his water bottle. And it's one of those where you just stick your water bottle on there, and it fills in from above, which is kind of nice and convenient. And then as soon as you move it out of the sensor, then the water stops. So um, so he's sitting there, and he's, like, on his phone. He's texting. His water bottle fills up. And then he picks up his water bottle, and he sets it on the edge of the fountain. And he doesn't move, and he's just standing there still texting. Still texting. So I'm like, <clears throat> oh, dipshit has headphones in as well. He can't hear me. So at this point, Captain Passive Aggressive here, I put on, I wouldn't even say like resting bitch face because I think I just kind of have that normally, but I put on like active asshole face just because I'm, I'm going to sit there and wait. I'm going to see how long it takes him to turn around before he notices. And I will tell you, it was about eight to 10 seconds, which when you're just standing there is an eternity. And so he turns around and he sees me and I've, I've got like the most unamused face. Kind of like, probably a little bit more like Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino, if you've seen that. 
probably that kind of a face on. Uh, and, and it looks like I might be, you know, it was probably a good thing I didn't have a shotgun. <laughs> Because, oh my God, uh, I just don't, once again, don't understand. I mean, th this gym has one water fountain and that's it. And you're just going to go there and stand there and text people and monopolize it and stand in front of it. Practice situational awareness. Okay, I did not expect that to go on for quite as long as it did. But I tell you, I was, um, I was just not okay. I was not okay with it. Um, I'm, I'm still not okay with it. I'm still not. So, okay, that was 10 minutes. <laughs> okay, so. Let's let's dig into the, uh, the the meat and potatoes of this week. Now that we're thirty two minutes uh, and thirty two minutes in, so the top things in bodybuilding that I wish I would have known earlier. So, um, and my my tagline for this was boring, unsexy, easy to ignore advice that can change your life. Um, and that's the thing. I mean, you've heard a lot of this stuff before. Um, it's like somebody saying, "Eat your veggies, brush your teeth." You're like, "Yeah, I know all that shit." I'm like, "Yeah, well, okay, that's also how you be healthy." So. Um, I know it's stuff that you have heard before, but we're going to dig in and we're going to explain some of this stuff too and try to make it all make a little bit more sense. And maybe if you're not doing these things, I can make a compelling argument as to why you should. So the first one of these, progressive overload matters. I think the argument against this, because this has been you know legit science for decades. This is nothing earth shattering here. I'm not breaking any news here. You want to grow, you have to, over time, force your body to do more than it is accustomed to. That's how you make it changed. What does that mean? That means progressive overload. We've talked about that before. Um, if you go to my website, fivestarphysique.com, and click on blog, the first post up there still, as of this, uh, this recording on August 16th, um, is still progressive overload explained, how to do it, how to make it happen. And it includes a lot of examples from my own logbook. We've talked about this here before as well. So um, I think that the argument against progressive overload is when you look at, you know, your bodybuilding heroes and icons, you don't, in, especially in like YouTube videos, you don't see them making notes in their logbook or anything like that. So there's this, um, this feeling that has developed that intuitive lifting is kind of the norm and works for everybody. I would make the argument that your your top tier, you know, world class bodybuilders are not the people that you should be looking to for advice because um, more often than not, what works for them is not going to work for you. If it did, you would be looking like that. It sounds kind of harsh, and maybe it's it's not entirely fair, but at the same time, you know, uh, you know, you've got you know, random bodybuilder X who's pushing 275 pounds in contest shape and you're over here at a buck 80 at 18% body fat. You know, you're, you're occupying different worlds. And so to think that the rules that he is following are going to apply to you and that you can, that you can follow those same rules and get, you know, results that are going to work is just not true. Um, and so it may at some time, but also... Um, when you're first starting out, follow the rules. And the, the, one of the cardinal rules of bodybuilding in the gym is progressive overload works. So yes, be a nerd. Keep a logbook. Track those numbers. 
force them to improve each week. You know, I, I talk about set to set progressive overload and week to week progressive overload, which is something that is not a, uh, a linear, infinitely continuing process. You know, it's something that, you know, it's like with, with powerlifting, you know, you want to improve your squat by 10 pounds a week. Okay, well, great. That does not mean you're going to improve your squat by 500 pounds in a year. Uh, it's just, it's not linear. It doesn't work that way, which is why as bodybuilders, we need to shake up our workouts. And so like the workout plans that I have on my website, they're designed to be run through for about four weeks and, and then you retire it and you plug in something new. Now you could return to it later on, but you got to shake it up a little bit. Uh, you know, change up some variables, change up some exercises, the order of things, volume, um, rep counts, uh, intensifying techniques, that kind of stuff. So, um, <clears throat> but forcing progressive overload, on the same plan over the course of four weeks, very doable. Um, and the other thing, and I've, I've encountered a lot of resistance from this, uh, from a lot of, uh, I think I can classify most of them as being former clients. Um, it's just like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do the same thing for, for four weeks in a row. I, I get bored. I've got to change it up. I'm like, no, you don't. And that is why you're lacking in development. Um, because you think, <clears throat> that you have the skill level and the uh, to, to be able to lift intuitively, and you don't. And if you're getting bored by doing the same thing more than one or two weeks in a row, that's on you, and you got to get over that. You got to fix that. And the solution is not to continue shaking things up and doing things differently every week, um, but to dig in on how you're doing things. You know, every lift, every exercise is a skill. Are you telling me that you're so advanced that you'd have no, no more room for skill development? Really, you don't need to practice these things anymore because basically when you go in the gym to quote-unquote train, you're practicing. You're practicing your execution at every movement. Um, and so to think that you've got it all dialed in and you're, you're just perfect on everything, I mean, I will um, – I have not done this before, but I'm a little bit more confident right now. But um, if I encountered somebody that brought that mentality um, to me um, – I would either not work with them or I would knock that shit down real fast. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes you've got to be harsh with people and say, look, if, if you really understood how to train your body effectively, you would not be in a position where you're looking for a coach and you're trying to put on 40 pounds of muscle because you would already have those 40 pounds. So, you know, let's be realistic here. You know, uh, part of, of hiring a coach is being coachable and knowing what you don't know and being willing to learn. So, um, you, you gotta, you gotta stick with something for a little while, um, and, and give it a chance and force that progressive overload to keep those logs as well. Number two, food flexibility is a real thing, which means, yeah, your food doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be the same all the time. Um, you know, there are no forbidden foods. There are certainly things that I would avoid. You know, I'd avoid a lot of high sugar stuff, especially like, you know, at certain times of the day, but you know, when, when you've got your carb-heavy meals around training time, you can work in a little bit of this and that here and there. It doesn't have to be all clean. Um, it, it, what, what I what want people to focus on, and, and we'll get to this a little bit later, is just avoiding things that, you know, make you feel not good, at least on the regular. Um, like, I love Oreos, and I have enough carbs in my post-workout allowance right now where I could work in some Oreos. I also know if I eat that many, I kind of feel like shit. So therefore I don't do it. And I stick with a carb source that I feel better with. So in, instead of Oreos, what do I have? I have Lucky Charms you know, because I could eat a mountain of Lucky Charms and still feel totally fine. Uh, it's just something about Oreos. I don't know what it is. It's not the sugar content necessarily because um, you know, it's not like Lucky Charms are low in sugar or anything like that. But uh, I don't, there's just something about it where if I eat enough of them, I just kind of feel ugh, a little sick. 
um, which is not not a good thing. You know, as, as bodybuilders, we need to be concerned with, you know, how our body is functioning overall. And so if you are deliberately making yourself sick through your food choices on a regular basis, that's certainly not a good thing. But food flexibility is legit and, you know, food flavor is legit. So the, the best meal plan is one that is appealing and feels sustainable. So it's a reasonable amount of work uh, in meal prep to be able to sustain it long term. And it's tasty enough that it makes you want to keep coming back. And then also, you, you don't, you're you not afraid to incorporate a little bit of macronutrient flexibility and freedom. Learn how to track your macros. Learn how to log things. Learn how to make the, the balance sheet at the end of the day add up, um, preferably in advance. Um, and incorporate a little flexibility. There's nothing wrong with that, and your food does not have to be boring. And I would say there, there's a certain population out there, and I call these people the robots, where... You know, you could say, hey, guess what? Your meal plan is dirt and broken glass for the week. And they'd be like, okay. And they'll do it week after week, unendingly, without fail. Those people are, uh, this is a technical technical term, those people are fucking weird. They're also a minority. Um, I am not one of those people. Um, I need my food to taste good. I don't need a ton of variety, but you know, like I'm using this meal plan service right now, and their menu changes every week, and I'm I'm enjoying that. So it does require me to do a little bit more work on the macronutrient balance sheets um, to make sure that things add up. Uh, and like I, I mentioned before, I'm using my uh, daily average macro planner, so I'm not worrying about each day um, hitting the totals exactly, but as long as the daily averages for the week add up to exactly where my daily total should be, then I'm good with that. So, um, so food flexibility is a real thing, but also, um, you know, give yourself a little consistency as well. Don't feel, and this is, uh, where the pendulum swings too far the other way. A lot of people who do macronutrient based diets will overdo it and it's different every day and their precision suffers as a result of that. So, um, Basically, if you wake up for the day and you don't have a plan in place that hits the, your numerical targets precisely, you've kind of failed yourself already. Number three, um, I blame Ronnie Coleman for this one. Low-intensity cardio is a waste of time. Um, so this is uh, uh, also known as LISS, L-I-S-S, low-intensity steady state. Um, it is a thing that should not exist in bodybuilding. Low-intensity cardio, you know what that is? It's called being lazy. So, and because there's uh, countless uh, stories and videos out there of Ronnie Coleman walking at like 2.8 miles per hour on an incline treadmill, well, guess what? I mean, for him, you know, when you weigh that much, that probably wasn't very low intensity. You know, carrying around that much mass, that's probably pretty hard, but um, that's not going to work for you. It's not going to work for me. Um, cardio, you've got to work. You know, you've got to sweat. You, you've got to put in the effort. Um, Another thing is that uh, for some reason, cardio machines are still being printed with this stuff about your heart rate zone and your target fat burning zone, et cetera. And you just got to know that that's all bullshit. Um, what you need to do is work. You need to be able to define. So we can define low intensity, which is not working hard enough. We can define max intensity, which is, you know, if you're asking like, is this max intensity? Then the answer is no. You'll know it when you get there. You know, that's going hard. Um, and it's not something where I need to say, well, here's what your heart rate should be. It's like, if, if we're going high intensity, interpret that as being max intensity, you will know when you're there. And if you have to ask, that means you're not there. Moderate intensity is somewhere in the middle of that, probably a little towards the, the higher end than the lower end. So you should be working hard, but it should feel sustainable. You should not be enjoying yourself, but you shouldn't be in sheer agony at the same time. Max intensity is about agony. So um, those are how I define things, low, moderate, 
high intensity. Moderate and high are the only areas where we need to be playing around with when it comes to cardio. There's just no no call for low intensity steady state cardio under any circumstance. So unless you're injured or recovering from surgery or something like that. Special circumstances, yes. Day-to-day prep, no. Number four is pay attention to your digestive performance. Um, so, uh, it's not uncommon when I start working with somebody, one of the questions that I have on my assessment form for new clients is, you know, do you have regular and semi-predictable bowel movements? And I would say probably about 60 to 70% of people who are coming into a program like this without a really well-constructed diet, because a lot of people will come in and be like, my diet's a, just a shit show. It's a total mess. I'm not tracking anything. I don't know what it is. Help. Like, okay, great. Here's a meal plan. Let's see how you do with this. And then we learn a lot from that. Um, but in those cases, almost uh, the, the majority of those, um, their digestion is terrible. Like they're, they're constantly backed up. Just things aren't moving well. You know, stomach is never really happy. All that stuff matters. You know, if we, if we want to get your body in a more optimal condition, you know, the stomach is the gateway uh, to, through to, to the body for everything that you put into it. So, um, you, you've got to make sure that your digestive performance is good. That does not necessarily mean using a bunch of supplements or anything like that. I'm not advocating for taking an expensive probiotic. Uh, it can't hurt. Um, I have found minimal anecdotal evidence uh, for me personally that it really does much of anything. Um, part of it is just because my digestion is typically pretty good anyway. Um, just ju- judging by you know how I feel, how regular I am, God, boy, if I could think back to as a teenager and, and me going back and telling teenage Darren, hey, guess what? When you're 40, you're going to have a podcast where you talk about how you poop. Um, <laughs> teenage me would be like, what? <laughs> teenage me was a dipshit, though, so that's not surprising. Um Anyway, digestion is important. Um, so it doesn't necessarily need a lot of supplements. I mean, you know, a little bit of fiber can help if your intake is low. Um, glutamine on the regular helps your digestive uh, performance overall as well. Um, just keeps your gut a little bit happier. But typically, it's just about good food selection more than anything else, which does not mean it has to be perfect all the time. But, you know, um, don't ignore your veggies. Um, if you want to go with some fruit every now and then, that's fine. I'm not a big fan of fruit. Personal preference on that it has nothing to do with physiology or, or anything like that. Just I, I don't really like fruit. So I, I, I put some berries in my cream of rice in the morning. That's my fruit serving each day. It's not much, but it's something at least. So um, pay attention to your digestion. Number five, and this is the one where uh, I consistently get the most pushback from people, and that is that rest days are essential to grow. Let me repeat it again and a little bit louder for the people in the back. Rest days are essential to grow. Yeah. Yeah. So how you grow is by providing a stimulus to the muscle that uh, you're putting a, putting it under a load that signals to it that if it wants to survive, it's going to have to grow and adapt. When it does that is out of the gym, when you're resting. Right now, this is the first time in my life where I've consistently worked out hard for five days a week and taken two days off. 
I've always been a six or a seven day a week lifter um, up until this. And so it's taken me until the ripe old age of 42 to get this point hammered home. But now I believe it. Yes, your rest days are critical to grow because now I'm working harder on those five days because I'm not just so overly fatigued all the time. You, you can feel uh, for most of us, there are exceptions to this. But if you're wondering, huh, am I an exception to this? The answer is no, you are not. If you are, you will know. Um, for most of us, if you work out seven days in a row, week after week, maybe take a day off or two a month or something like that, you are going to suffer from a, a decrease in your performance that is probably just too small for you to really even notice that could be solved just by taking a day off. Um, and so right now I'm taking two days off a week for the first time, and I'm growing a little bit more consistently now than I ever have before in the past. So no other variables are different. I mean, I'm a little bit more uh, precise on my diet. I'm a little less dirty with it, um, you know, let less overeating, that kind of thing. So um, I'm staying a little bit tighter. But even then, you know, my calories are lower on this phase than they probably have been before in other growth phases. So I'm staying a little tighter, a little bit leaner, not much, but a little bit pushing harder on lifts and I'm growing more just because I'm resting more. Um, and so I'm taking two days off. Um, I'm hitting cardio every day, but it's like, you know, I'm walking Taz kind of cardio. It's not super strenuous. So this is low intensity cardio, not designed for fat loss, but just designed to, you know, keep my, uh, keep my heart a little happier. And also, um, it's, it's the only way that my feet and legs wake up in the morning is if I go for a walk around the neighborhood. And plus, you know, Taz needs it. I count it as cardio, but I know it's like, okay, this is low intensity. This is not really counting. So um, it's kind of baked into my daily formula at this point. And so when I do bring uh, program cardio back into it, it will be on top of this. So I'm not not trying to get away with anything here by by counting that as cardio, but just tracking it. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm taking two rest days, working in minimal cardio. Even with those two rest days, I still find I'm taking a, a little bit of a nap more days uh, than not. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You, you work hard, you push hard in the gym, and if, if you want your body to grow, you've got to let it rest. You've got to let it recover. So you've got to sleep well, um, take those days off, and don't be afraid to sneak in a nap here and there. Number six, high protein, yes, but not absurdly so. If you're a guy that's 200 pounds and you're taking in 400, 450 grams of protein, it's just too much, man. It's too much. This goes back to digestion. You know, that's going to, uh, for almost everybody, that's going to impact your digestion in some kind of a way. Um, it, it, there's a very good chance it's going to make you break out. Um, there's a very good chance uh, you're going to have uh, issues with water intake just because the higher your protein intake gets, the higher your water intake needs to get as well just to keep your kidneys a little bit happier. Um, and so it comes to a point where like, okay, I'm taking in this much food. Now I need to get that much water in on top of it. It becomes very difficult. And also there, there's just a, there's a cap on how useful protein is. Um, do we know exactly what that is? No. Um, I would say if you're, if, if you're at two grams per pound of body weight, you're way over it. I think one and a half is probably about the upper threshold, which still, you know, for, for a 200 pound guy, that's 300 grams. That's plenty. That's probably higher than I would program for most people. Um, so high protein, yes, very high even, I would say for in some cases can be appropriate, but absurdly high, no, no. Uh, I, I will never forget, there was something I saw on social media where there was a, a, a woman bodybuilder, somewhere international, I don't remember where she was, um, but uh, she, she'd gotten to a point where 
you know, she she was uh, almost at the pro level, and she was really trying to make a big push. And you know, clearly she had uh, decided, whatever, game on, it's gear time, and we're just going to start taking everything under the sun. And she blew up pretty well. And there was something where a few months after that. Um, she, she made a post, something to the effect of like, I've been getting a lot of questions about, you know, the, the added size that I put on recently. And I just doubled my protein intake. That was all I did. (laughs) Yeah, that was it. I'm sure. Uh, but it's just feeding that, uh, that notion that, you know, more higher protein intake is good at all costs. Like if you ever find yourself in a situation where you have to double your protein intake, it probably means it was way too low to begin with, which, you know, if you are almost at the pro level in women's physique is not the case. So, yeah, we aren't buying it. Don't worry. Uh, and then number seven, um, this is the last one, and this is more, more of a cautionary tale than anything else. Um, eating disorders and bodybuilding are a very real risk. And I think it is helpful for everybody to program in some balance and allow yourself in a programmed way to be imperfect. Don't be afraid to plan a, a day off from your diet every now and then, which does not mean a binge day. That is the opposite of what it means. It means a day where, hey, instead of eating six meals a day, maybe eat, eat three. And maybe you like make yourself a sandwich or something like that. Have a bowl of soup. You know, Take your wife out to dinner. Don't have dessert and don't stuff yourself silly, but, you know, just eat like a normal person. Um, That is okay. I would also say, excuse me, if you are in a place where you've got a lot of body weight to lose, first of all, taking the slow path isn't necessarily a bad idea, but if I was coaching you, I'd feel comfortable pushing you harder and be like, no, we don't need a day like that. And I've said this before, and I don't necessarily agree with the harshness of this statement, but um, I, I, I do find that there's truth and value in the sentiment, which is when you get a, a new client who is, you know, they, they've clearly got some work to do. They've, they've got some extra weight to, to chip away. Um, and they're, they're like a week or two in, they're asking about a cheat meal. And the response from another coach that I saw was, your entire life has been a cheat meal. No, you don't need that right now. And I think that is overly harsh and very judgy and designed to make somebody feel like shit, which uh, just doesn't fly with me. But nonetheless, I'm like, yeah, you've been getting away with a lot on your diet for most of your life, or at least for the past several years. This is the time to clean things up. We don't need to be doing that right now. So I want you to to come hard over to my side and let's see how we do. Um, But for the, uh, and I'm not playing favoritism here, but for the bodybuilder who has been through this cycle a few times, you know, cut, maybe a show, maybe not, maybe just a cut, grow, cut, grow. You know, the, the regimen involved in that is such that it can lead to an unhealthy relationship with food if you let it. And I think it's good just early on to let yourself recognize that and don't be afraid to take a day off periodically here and there. So once you've proven like, yeah, I got this, I can do this, you know, I'm, I'm on it. I'm in the zone. I am a dieting pro. Yeah, no problem. Okay. You've proven it. Now, if you take a few days off every now and then, uh, you know, like a day off a month even, you know, not when you're in pre-contest, of course, but um, during a growth phase, yeah, you have a day where it's like, yeah, you know what, I just, you know, uh, I woke up and I skipped breakfast and, you know, I went out and grabbed some Panera for lunch and I didn't have anything else and then I made this thing at home with my uh, husband or wife for dinner and it was great. And so I was was probably a little under on my calories for today, but I just ate normal stuff and it was fine. Uh, Great. I fully support that for somebody who is deep enough into the weeds 
that that's not a day of weakness, but it's more of a deliberate choice. Um, it's not like oh, I just got really lazy and I didn't meal prep. It's like, no, 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 that's, that's not good enough. But I want you to be able to back off and recognize if your relationship with food is getting unhealthy. And that does not mean quitting what you're doing, but it means I just need to take a day to chill to remember what it's like to eat like a normal person and just be less hyper-focused on food all the time. That is okay. I would totally support that. So, huh, Okay. So that's it. No, no, all, all seven of those. Once again, number one, progressive overload matters. Number two, food flexibility is a real thing. Number three, low-intensity cardio is a waste of time, unless you're walking your dog. Number four, pay attention to digestion. Number five, rest days are essential to grow. Number six, high-protein, yes, but not absurdly so. And then number seven, eating disorders are a very real, real risk. Top things I wish I would have known earlier in my bodybuilding life. There you go. So, whew, I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm going to go eat, and then I'm going to go train back. And who knows, I might even like record a video and post something on social media for once because I've been slacking on that front lately. So, I'm going to pick it up. Um, I'm going to try to, at least. We'll see how it goes. No promises. No promises. Anyway, thank you all for listening. This has been The Drop Set. I have been and still am your host, Darren Starr, episode 135, putting a bow on it right here. I'll be back hopefully on Monday. So if you have questions, 865-518-2974. Remember the call that I put out this week. Give me your money songs. You're putting on something in your playlist for a set where you've got to hit a PR. What is it and why? Let me know. 